So you start a business with zero employees, zero money, zero customers, and away you go. And you run into a problem that actually puts your business $350,000 or $375,000 or something in debt. And it's your fault. You did it. You made the decision. And now it's on your head. Now, also, you recovered and built a $100 million company. Sound like a story? There's a lot of grit in Mike Jarrett. Next. This is a dash of grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And so let's get cooking. Folks, this one is really special to me, and we have a very special guest to celebrate with us. This is one year. If you've been following along, if you've been listening along, watching along, uh, going through grit along the time, we started this podcast uh, a little over a year ago at this point. So this is episode number 53. Thank you to everyone that's been uh, listening every single week. Thank you to Spire for supporting me in this endeavor every single week. And uh, and thanks to all of those uh, who have participated in the show uh, to make this happen. I couldn't do it without you. And I'm looking forward to another and another and another successful year of Dash of Grit. And so let's dive in. Folks, I, I said this was an important one, and it is to me. It, it's emotional for me to, to bring this to you for a year after the year we've had. Uh, and I wanted a special guest, and I have one. Um, I wanted just to uh, let you know that our guest uh, and his company has won numerous awards. If you're reading Inc. Magazine, if you're reading Entrepreneur Magazine, if you're reading uh, The Plain Dealer, looking for best places to work, if you're if you're looking for one of the fastest growing companies in America, uh, awarded 15 times over by Inc. Magazine, you're about to meet its owner and its founder and its president and CEO. And he is Mike Jarrett. He uh, has experience in the past with uh, FedEx Logistics, also with Caliber Logistics. It inspired him to found Jarrett. And we are thrilled, uh, Mike, that you joined us here for A Dash of Grit. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate the intro. So I'm so excited that you're here and I'm so excited for you to share your story. But before we get into the grit, and I know building a company like you've built, I know you didn't do it on your own. Uh, and we'll talk about that. But uh, for now, the company that you've built, would you brag about it a little bit? Tell the folks what Jarrett does and then how well you've done it. What are you proudest of with Jarrett? Well, Jarrett Companies is, uh, is a company that uh, my wife and I founded in 1998. And um, our primary area, it's multiple vertical company, but our primary area is in supply chain logistics, transportation, and fleet services, and warehousing. Um, that would be the majority of where our, our, uh, our businesses are, are, are focused on. We also, as part of the company portfolio, uh, we also have uh, a couple of restaurants and a, and a couple of fitness centers. And so that adds some diversity to the portfolio as well. But our primary focus is, is in transportation supply chain. And logistics. Our largest division is Jarrett Logistics, and that focuses on providing third-party logistics services to shippers of all kinds. Um, it could be uh, shippers in heavy industrial, shippers in consumer packaged goods, uh, oil and gas. There's a, a number of, of companies and industry sectors that we, we focus on in, in, in Jarrett Logistics. Um, Packship USA is a final mile and uh, provider where we focus primarily on furniture 
that is uh, picked up and delivered to customers' homes, which uh, that B2C market is a, it's a high growth area with e-commerce. And then Jarrett Fleet Services, it's based out of Seville, Ohio. And um, that's a fleet services division where we provide um, mechanical work on trucks, trailers, uh, sandblasting and painting for complete overhauls. We just installed a new truck wash system. So um, it's an exciting division of the company as well. Okay. And what are you proudest of? What successes are you uh, constantly kind of tooting your horn a little bit and, 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 and excited about? Well, I'll tell you, it, uh, we've had a lot of success over the years, but it's, it's not been me. That's for sure. It's, it's our employees. And, you know, you mentioned about being 5,000, 15 times that, that I guess if I were to be proud about something about the company, that's that, uh, you know, as a company, we were able to, to be successful in is, is, Landing that that award 15 times means a lot to me, and and I know it does to our employees as well. Because there's a couple of things with that. One, only two companies, us and one other company, in the history of the Inc. 5000 have ever been named to that list 15 times or more. So we're we're in a a little bit different category uh, when it comes to being named that many times. I, I would say also that what ties to that that I, I, I'm really proud of is we've remained privately held. And uh, the 5000 is, is representative of privately held companies. And so to be able to continue to grow and, and be, remain privately held, uh, the company uh, is owned by my wife and I, 100%. We don't have any outside investors, no private equity. And so um, we think that's we think that's really important. You know, we started with zero customers, zero revenue, and zero employees. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we uh, we're now over a hundred million dollars in revenue, uh, two hundred and forty employees, and you know, twenty plus years in business. And you know, one other thing that I I'd like to say that I that I think is really neat. It can be done. If there's anyone out there listening that's an entrepreneur that um, maybe is going through some struggles right now, um, we are debt free, and and I think that can be done. It's it's hard. You have to be focused, laser focused. But um, you know, we reinvested back into the companies time and time again in order to be um, financially, um, uh, you know, disciplined, and that really came in handy. I'll tell you this past year. The pandemic. So I, I think that, you know, being privately held, debt-free, but really it's all about our people. And we established core values about four or five years into our existence, about the time as an entrepreneur that we felt like we might make it. <laughs> yep. They say after you get past the fifth year, you your chances of making it go up about 80%. And so we established core values and we established our purpose, our why, as Simon Sinek would say, and our just cause. And it's all about our people. Yeah. You know, our why is our people. That's our purpose. Our just cause is providing opportunities for our people to grow personally and professionally. And we, we zero in on our core values and our why and our just cause. We make decisions that are centered around those things. I know it's a long answer. But no, no, I it's it's a perfect answer, and and I wonder if if you don't mind me asking, five years before that, yes. 
when you started with zero. Did yeah. you have a vision for a $100 million company debt-free with uh, private ownership and the level of employee satisfaction that you have now? Or did you have a different vision and then kind of find your way into, oh, you know, I can do this debt-free too, which came first? Yeah. Well, it, that was the plan in in rough, rough uh, scenario and not exactly laid out this way, Brian, you know. Right. Like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And, you can't <laughs> right. and that's what this show is about. We're going to get yeah. to that. Yeah. <laughs> but we we certainly have evolved. And when you start with zero customers, zero revenue, and zero employees, you you know you you take. We had to take on debt, obviously, to get the company started. So right. really, our focus early on was how do we put food in the table? You know, how do mm-hmm. we pay our bills? How do we get, you know, you know, how do we get better every day? You know, like, you know, I, I'm a, a big fan of, uh, you know, the infinite mindset, infinite game is a book recently written by Simon Sinek. Yes. And what he talks about in that book is an infinite mindset is focusing on getting better every day. Don't focus on the outcomes. Just a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm, 1%, 1% better every day. You get, if you focus on that, the outcomes will take care of themselves. And so early on in our company's history, it really was about just getting better every day and, you know, pulling up the bootstraps and figuring out how to keep the debt as low as possible so that we could continue to reinvest back into the company. And, and again, once we got to about the five-year mark, that's when we, you know, were able to start really accelerating our growth, hiring more and more people, and then my role as the founder and CEO changed a lot. And I think that's a I think that's a, a, a gap that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is from doing everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the chief bottle washer, the salesperson, the CEO, and everything else combined. And, and then as we started to grow and add people, my role had to change. And guess what? We hired some great people. To this day, we have still some of those people that we hired way back then. And when you hire great people who have character and integrity and work ethic that um, are willing to, you know, totally embrace the business, and have passion for the business, you just give, you just stay out of the way then. I, you know, I, my, my biggest challenge after we started growing and adding people was just getting out of the way so yeah. all our great people could do the great things that they do every day. Yeah. And and so let's let's talk a little bit about the 0 to 100 million dollar journey. I think it's funny because I know for a fact you'll go to the grocery store and someone will say behind your back, "Hey, you know who that is? That's Mike Jared. He's that lucky guy that owns that big company. He's, you know, he's you know, he got it made." Because I I'm, I'm pretty sure that everybody thinks that the other guy across the street it's got it easy. That was, of course, he's doing well. He works at Jarrett, you know, but it's not that way. There's hurdles and hardships that you had to overcome. And I bet you, we won't have anywhere close to amount of time to get to all of them. But can you share with us kind of what this show's about? Some of the opportunities for you to display that grit where you had to really buckle down, bootstraps up and, uh, and get over some hurdles to keep that company alive. Can you share some examples with us? Sure. Sure, Brian. I, I would, um, if I were to you know, kind of go roll back the clock and look at the early years of our company. Um, I probably have to say it was it was in 2001. We uh, which was we how many years been, in at that time? 
2001? Yeah, we've been in business a little over two years. Okay, very time. good. Mm-hmm. And of course, for those of us that are old enough to, to remember 9-11, mm-hmm. that was a, you know, a game changer for our economy. We went into a deep, deep recession right after 9-11. So we had, we were, again, young companies, about two and a half years in business, and we had gained some traction during that two and a half years and landed a fairly sizable customer in, the, in our logistic division, Jarrett Logistics, which again is our, our largest division. And as a third-party logistics provider in that division, we managed the supply chains for companies. So this particular customer had a lot of freight activity which you know, had a large complex supply chain. So I felt really fortunate. It allowed me to hire quite a few people because we were able to land this customer. And um, after 9-11, they, uh, they got hit really hard by the recession. So they stopped paying us. And so, you know, my, uh, to this day, my biggest mistake in, in all of our years in business was not holding them accountable for paying us. And, in other words, stopping services until they would pay us. But because they were our largest customer, we were still just a little over two and a half years old as a company. Um, I was reluctant to put put down my foot down with that customer. Yep. I would call and they they would say, we're paying you next week. Well, the payment didn't show up. It's a, I think it's a common mistake that young entrepreneurs make. You know, you have a lot of eggs in one basket early on in a, in a company's history and you you and also I have an optimistic mindset it's it's I don't pay me because I you know I'm I've never not paid anyone you pay your people they'll pay you sure yes mm-hmm. yes so somewhat naive as well yes um so the so the receivables jumped pretty quickly because they were such a they had such a complex and large supply chain and so we we got above three hundred thousand dollars in receivables pretty quickly over about a Roughly about a 90-day period. And that's when I finally, you know, got a hold of the CEO of the company and they said, we'll pay you and, and you know, quit being so worried and, and that sort of thing. Well, yeah. it was December of, of 2001. And of course, 9-11 occurred in September. And so um, that was the last conversation I had with oh their uh, CEO. Uh, the, next, the next thing I received was back in those days, there was faxes. So I received a fax. And it was about a 15-page fax from the bankruptcy court saying that they had filed bankruptcy. Well, I didn't know much about bankruptcy um, other than, you know. <laughs> You're about to learn, <laughs> weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the most expensive uh, PhD in bankruptcy law ever in the history of bankruptcy law, I'll tell you. Uh, I learned a lot about Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yep. So it was, a, it was a Chapter 11 reward. So as an unsecured creditor, I was due to receive pennies on the dollar for what was owed. And uh, so that's what happened. I ended up receiving roughly about, about uh, 20, $27,000, $28,000, so a little less than 10% for what was owed. Yeah. And we, we didn't, you know, being a young company, we certainly didn't, we had to pay our, our vendors. Our vendors yeah. in this example, as a transportation intermediary, we were obligated to pay all the carriers that hold the shipments for this customer. That customer would pay us. That's how it's supposed to work. When they defaulted on their payments, we were put in a position where we had to pay all of the vendors that this would be freight carriers. Right. 
Well, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, right? We sometimes I got lucky. I got lucky. I I had a friend uh, who was an executive at our local bank here. He had actually did my uh, the loans for my uh, college when I was a college student many years ago, okay. and um, was willing to do a three hundred thousand dollar loan for us. And he was able to pull that loan off very quickly. I don't think those things happen anymore. No. It was based purely on relationships. Yeah. And so that allowed us then to pay all of our, our vendors. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. I, I would not be here today doing this podcast with you, Brian. It, that's how uh, difficult the situation had become. So and what so, would have, what would you have done? Let, let, and, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on that, but it, would it have shut you down had you not been lucky and had that relationship? Yeah, what we would have done, we would have had to shut down. And and then I would have gone back to a job, whether it be FedEx or any other company, and I would have systematically over a number of years paid that debt. Is that just not who I am? I was not going to not pay what was owed. You know, I had I had a, one of the largest vendors, freight carriers, approach me and say, well, how about if I go back to corporate and work something out? We've done this with other 3PLs before. And I said, no, I, I'm obligated to pay. It's, 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 um, it's not right. So uh, I, uh, you know, thankfully that loan came through from the bank. So we were able to pay our debts mm-hmm. to the vendors and essentially get back on our feet. We had to, you know, um, at the time we didn't have any salespeople. I was a salesperson. So I kept knocking on doors and I knew I had to land more business in order to keep the, uh, the train moving forward. And uh, it was it was it was one of those times where you know you had to reevaluate. It was an emotional gut punch for sure. Yeah, and talk about that a little bit before the loan came through. So you're talking to the CEO, you're not getting paid. You realize you're in trouble. You keep moving forward. You, you keep accepting the work. You you realize there's going to be a problem. There's a cliff coming, and you're heading over it. The loan takes care of things, and you're back in business. But tell me about that period between the time when you're trying to keep the business afloat, you don't know that there's a a safety net for lack of better words on the other side. What were you going through? What kinds of things were you feeling? What were your options or alternatives at that time? Can you remember back to what that was kind of doing to your, your well-being as far as watching your business kind of explode a little bit at that early stage? Yes, Brian. An entrepreneur's worst nightmare is failure. Yes. So, you know, it was an emotional gut punch because we had just finally read landing this customer. We had landed a couple of smaller accounts, but this customer really got us on our feet and allowed us to really, you know, hire people. And so we were, you know, doing what gets me out of bed every day, and that is creating jobs mm-hmm. and creating growth and creating opportunity for our dedicated employees, which is our just cause. Uh, so that that was an emotional gut punch because we, you know, I guess like Paul Harvey said used to say, there's the rest of the story. Yeah, I had the you know a lot of uh, husband and wives are opposites. My wife and I we've married 33 years, and we have two young daughters. Uh, being opposites in a lot of a lot of things we how we approach things. My wife is very risk averse. I'm much more of a risk taker. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the story and this emotional gut punch when this happened was uh, she wasn't too excited. My wife, Diane, was not really excited about being an entrepreneur. I had to kind of drag her into it. Yes. When uh, 
you know, when you mentioned about my prior history at FedEx Logistics, I was working at FedEx Logistics in Hudson at the time before starting Jared. And I had to convince uh, my wife, Diane, to, to go this entrepreneurial path. The reason we went this direction is because we wanted to remain living in this area. And when FedEx Logistics bought Caliber Logistics, my prior employer, I was pretty sure that my job was going to be relocated to FedEx's corporate headquarters in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Having two young daughters, we wanted to keep our family in this area. Well, you know, I, I uh, tried to uh, talk my wife into starting her own company. She wasn't too excited about it. So I said, well, maybe I'll just go get a job at another company that's more local so we could stay in this area. Finally, I was able to convince her to take this leap. Again, being a very risk-averse person, it was a tough leap for her. Yeah. And well, then all of her fears were proven right when... Yes. Yep. So that's the rest of the story. That's why it was such an emotional gut punch because my worst fear as an entrepreneur is failure. And then I had to go home and tell my wife, and you know, that who knows what's going to happen. And know? she so, says, I told you so. So well, what, what yeah. do you do then? Do you mind taking us in through that conversation? Because I promise there are listeners now that are struggling with family-owned businesses, trying to decide which way to go and differing opinions on where to go. Um, when you're at that spot, when things are falling apart, the, the, the risk is coming to fruition. Yeah. How do you have that conversation to keep it going? Well, it was, you know, my best sales job. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> you always be closing, right? Yeah. I, I did my best new rock me invitation. Tried to rally the troops, you know. And, uh, it was. How it was did tough. you believe? How did, how did you believe? How, how, you believe why didn't you just assume that maybe she's right? Maybe I bit off more than I could chew. Maybe this wasn't meant to be. Um, I, I should have listened to my wife again. <laughs> I'm married yeah. too, so I know. Yeah. How, how did you not accept that? And how, how were you able to have that Newt Rockney moment? How did you know that it was going to be okay if you moved forward? Well, I think all successful entrepreneurs deep down believe in themselves, mm -hmm. believe in themselves deeply. And so I would say that at that moment, as I'm trying to convince my wife that this is still the right thing to do, we can make this work. We just have to buckle down harder and, you know, watch our pennies. And so that's what we did. And, it, you know, it's, it's, you have to believe in yourself. And I always say, you don't have to, you know, put a plan together that puts, puts your next 20 years or 25 years on a map. I think, I think that's, um, I don't, I don't think it's good. I think you just got to focus on getting better every day Yeah. and the outcomes will take care of themselves. And so, um, and you have to have this deep belief in yourself and, you know, so, that's what, that's what we did. We just kept charging forward almost to the point where we were numb to the fact that we had this $300,000 um, debt that now was upon us. And, and, you know, we had two young children. Our, our daughters were three and four years old at the time. So um, we just, we just tightened the belt even more. And I, I, you know, I um, worked hard at trying to land business to grow the business so we could, get ourselves out of that hole. And we were, it, it, it didn't take us long to get out of the hole uh, about a year and a half to two years, but we landed a couple more accounts and it allowed us to expand the business into a new office and, and move, move full steam ahead. But I, you know, when that got that fax that night on December 15th, you know, mm -hmm. 10 days before Christmas, it, it was a gut punch. It yeah. really was. And break up facts. 
Yeah. And those, <laughs> and, and again, behind the scenes was this, um, you know, uh, this, uh, this reluctance. Yeah. And I felt like I drugged my, my wife and daughters into this mess. And now I have to figure out how to get out of the mess. And um, it's, it's not rocket science, Brian, it's hard work. It's yeah. hard work. And it's maintaining your, your foundation. You know, when you have, I always say, you know, your, your values and our value statement as part of our company, they're immovable. And, and what I mean by that is whether it's a good day or a bad day or a good month or a bad month or some adversity, your, your core values stay the same. And, and that's really what we, we rest in. We're, we're people of faith. And so, uh, you know, that, that's what, that's what got us through it. And, and so that's also what kind of got you in trouble. I want to go quickly back to the beginning and you had mentioned, you know, you, you let it happen. You got the, you, you realized that, uh, the, the CEO wasn't paying and things weren't quite looking right, but you kept delivering because you trusted and you had this feeling that people are good and people are going to do the right thing. And you relied on that. And that's part of who you are. And yet you said, you know, had I known what I know now, I would have done it differently. How, how do you, how do you make those tough calls to do what's right and what's best for the company? What would you give to, you know, that's going to happen right now. It's happening in this environment that we're in where we're kind of relying on different sources of monies and there's loans and there's all these kinds of different things that are, are helping businesses now. Um, it's not a, a an easy thing paying your bills today. What would you tell entrepreneurs and, and small business owners uh, about making that decision of when to cut it off and, and when to help? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, fiscal responsibility. And, and I learned a big lesson there. You know, I, we have two children, but in, in reality, we have three. The third is our business. That's yes, how sir. much we care about our employees, how much we care about um, providing more opportunities for our employees. Again, that's what, that's my personal why is that's why I get out of bed every day, you know, is, is to provide more opportunities for employees, you know, or to, to create more jobs. And so when it becomes that important, if that's part of your purpose, you don't allow customers to build up receivables to the point where your company can possibly go under as a result of defaulting on those commitments. So that was my lesson. And so I would advise all entrepreneurs out there that maybe we're in that stage back, you know, roughly about 20 years ago, like I was, that possibly could have some large customers, a lot of eggs in one basket, hold firm. Um, we call it in the Sandler world, Brian, equal business stature. Absolutely. Yep. You are providing a service to that customer. That customer is obligated to pay you for your services. So if you if you think that you're below business stature of your customer, then you're thinking wrong. Mm. You are equal business stature. You're providing a valuable service to your customer or product, whatever it may be. And that customer should be obligated to pay you. If they don't, for whatever reason is happening behind closed doors with them, you then, as the owner of your business, the presidency of your business, you shut those services off until before the, the receivables get so high that it puts your 
company in jeopardy. Because if your purpose is to provide for your employees, you can't provide for your employees if your receivables get, get so high with a, with a customer to the point where it puts your company in jeopardy. Yeah. And that after that moment back in 2001 is how we've handled situations with customers in that point. Yeah. Have we had other situations where customers have filed bankruptcy, refused to pay? Absolutely. Sure. It's 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 what you deal with in the world of business. I like to say that business is like tap toeing around landmines. Mm-hmm. You just got to tap toe around landmines, and if you step on the landmine, it blows up. That's the adversity that you're going to be dealing with, and that's every day in business. That's going to happen to you. Don't let it build up to the point where. It puts your business in jeopardy. Yeah. And we no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Because the reason that we're here is because of our employees. Our people are what make the difference. That's our and, purpose and our why. And isn't that why it's so important to have that purpose and that why? Because when you need to make a decision based on that, it's a whole lot easier to make a decision based on your purpose and your why if they're stated and on your walls than it is if you're just trying to satisfy a a, a profit and loss statement or something of the sort, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, by definition, your purpose, your why is not material things. It's not profit. It's not money. It's, it's, it's things that mean more to you deep down in your heart and what motivate you. And, and, and when you think about it, it's, it's, it's usually, you know, it's usually things that you have an emotional attachment to and, you know, whether it be family, whether it be, um, you know, your, your, your business, whether it be your employees, I mean, those things that you have an emotional attachment to or what your why deep down is, is all about. And, you know, like Simon Sinek says, everybody in the world knows what they do. Most know how they do it, but very few know why. Why? And when you go on a, 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 a soul search for your purpose and you identify what that is, Make all your decisions based upon whether it meets the criteria of your purpose, of your why. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Brian, when you look at it from that standpoint, I will never make that decision ever again. Um, uh, That decision to put our company in jeopardy because our why is built upon us continuing to grow and create opportunities for our employees. And do you think that's why you've been so successful as, as creating the culture of, of a workforce that w- loves working there? It's a great place to work and, it's, and, and it drives the company. You hire and fire, I assume, to those purpose and vision and value statements as well? Absolutely, Brian. Yeah. It's, it's all about culture is, is all about uh, who we are yeah. as a company. And you know, we hire people based on their character, their integrity, and their work ethic. We don't hire them based on their experience. You know, it's a short-term game to hire someone that has a, a number of years of experience in transportation and supply chain, but it's not someone of character or someone who's honest. It's a long-term game when you hire people that have the foundational skills, character, integrity, honesty, and work ethic. And then you train them on the job at hand. They get to learn your business. They get to learn your customers. And now you have the best of both worlds. Mm. You have a hardworking, honest person who understands your customers, understands your business. Those are the type of people that create culture. And that culture is based upon trust. Trust is the glue that holds relationships together. I always like to say that 
you know, trust is hard to get, but easy to lose. Mm-hmm. So you, if you maintain that trust, it creates this, these relationships above and beyond the business day-to-day tasks. And that is the glue that holds your culture. Together. Yeah. And that, that helps you get through a lot of grit that comes up. And I think that'll be my last question for you. I'm interested in, in today moving forward. There's opportunities for grit. You're a big company, but that doesn't make it any easier. What are the struggles that you see over the horizon uh, coming up next that you're going to have to lace up and, uh, and overcome? Well, definitely. You know, it's a lot different than 20 years ago. We're a much larger organization. There's a lot more at stake. So making good decisions is, is, is paramount. And so, you know, dealing with most recent, well, I shouldn't say most recent, we're still in, in the midst of a pandemic, but we're starting to see things ease up, which is great. But when we, about a year ago, when we had to make some decisions very quickly to send all of our employees to work from home, all those that had jobs that were conducive to work from home, we went into, uh, like us, like most other companies across uh, the world, um, really had to um, take a couple of steps back and take a look at what we need to do in order to um, make sure that we're protecting, you know, what matters to us, which is again is our people. And 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 so we had to we had to make some really tough decisions during that time frame. And those decisions now are have a lot more uh, weight to them because of the overall impact. Um, and so I would say that we. Uh, you know, when you deal with issues and, and issues that uh, such as the, the pandemic, it's really important just to evaluate every situation clearly, concisely, and rely on those people around you. Uh, I always say that there'll be no mistaking uh, ever that I would be viewed as the smartest person in the room. That will never happen. The people around me, Depends I on what are room. the smartest people in the room. <laughs> And so when we had to make some tough decisions about a year ago on how to handle this pandemic, yeah. I said to our executive leadership team, you know, here's my thoughts on the situation, but I want to hear your thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm only one ninth. There were 10 of us, uh, nine of us in the room. And I said, I'm only one ninth of this decision. I want to hear everyone else's. And the decisions we made during that time frame that was very critical about a year ago was all based on the feedback and collective agreement of our executive leadership. And I will say they were the right decisions and um, we're, uh, we're thankful we made the decisions we did make. Yeah. Good for you. And I, and I know those decisions and, and especially when you're the owner and you've seen the hardships in the past and you have a vision, but you've hired to that so that everybody shares that same common goal. And so you can trust that uh, from that table of executives. And so congratulations for that. I would, and I would add just on top of the run, you're exactly right. For all budding entrepreneurs out there that have not started their business yet or are in the midst of a young company, mm-hmm. it's all about trust. As you start to hire people, hire people that you trust and they trust you. That creates a team, a team that works together. And when they work, when you work together with trust as the component that connects you, you are unstoppable. That's how you are successful because you have a team of people that you trust and, and they trust you. If you have somebody that you can't trust in your on your team, then you need to make a you have to have courage to make a change. And, and that's where a lot of companies, particularly in the early years, they fail and they no longer make it past 
that five-year mark, like eight out of 10 businesses do not because they lack, leaders lack the courage to make those tough decisions. Nine out of 10 times it comes back to whether or not the team trusts each other. Absolutely. Keep that, as entrepreneurs, I'd like for everyone to keep that in mind. Yeah, great, great advice. And and uh, you know, I, I want to come back to that in a second, really quickly. I want to do a, a quick plug for Spire. I've kept you, Mike, longer than I promised, and so I apologize for that. Um, but very quickly, uh, this is not your normal commercial. I want to thank Spire for supporting Dash of Grid. Dash of Grid exists for entrepreneurs, small business owners, business leaders um, to overcome the hurdles and to know that they're not alone in those hurdles. And that's what Spire is all about too. Spire is here to help business owners succeed, to help organizations overcome the challenges that they face. And whether it be marketing or strategy or systems implementation, those are the things that, that we do. And so if you're looking for a company that does that, if you're looking for a company that supports the things that we believe here on Dash of Grit, um, perhaps you found one in Spire Advertising. So reach out. We're at spiread.com. Back to you, Mike. If someone were to want to reach out to you um, to learn more about Jarrett and the success you've had, entrepreneurial growth, vision, uh, things that you've talked about today, um, would it be okay if they did? And if so, how might they reach out to you? Absolutely, Ryan. I, I, I love to talk to uh, young entrepreneurs who are excited and have that passion. So they can go to our website. It's it's www gojarrett.com. That's G-O, Jarrett with two R's and two T's.com. And they can reach me via email as well. I'm at mjarrett at gojarrett.com. So folks, you just met Mike Jarrett. And I want to thank you, Mike, for being a part of our show. And I want to um, thank you for your openness and your vulnerability and sharing during our one-year anniversary, because you are exactly the person that our listeners want to become. And I'll tell you why not just because of the success, but because of the way you did it. The, the, the entire show has been about ethics, about doing the right thing, about putting your business first, and sometimes putting your employees first, and always putting something else first instead of yourself. And sometimes it causes trouble. Um, but your proof, living proof, that you can do zero to 100 or beyond without bending the rules and without taking shortcuts and with, and without uh, uh, doing anything else that you wouldn't be proud of at night. And so I thank you for what you've done at Jared. And I thank you for sharing that story on Dash of Grit. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate you taking me back down memory lane there. And it was, uh, it was uh, enjoyable to have this uh, podcast with you. And thanks for inviting me. Thank you very much. It's been a year, folks. Let's be here another year from now. And until then, 52 more episodes to go. Listen to them all. Watch them all. Find some past episodes that you'd like to uh, engage with. And above all, until we meet again, uh, get gritty and win the day. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Brian. Congratulations as well to you. Thank you, sir. This is a Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things.